This camera is shite on this laptop. No, mate, that's just your face. Well, it's that as well. <laughs> Doesn't help. <laughs> have here another episode of not another whiskey podcast with the two hosts with the most it's that time again ladies and gentlemen where we sit down with my esteemed colleague nicholas Polacki, who some say was one of the trendsetters of drinking whiskey in the usa he is the man some kind of myth and in some parts of the world a legend how are you my friend <laughs> i'm really good mate really good indeed and welcome to everyone to another show where we will dive into the vodka world, discuss the latest trends in molecular mixology, and review some fat-rinsed ingredients. I am, of course, talking absolute garbage. We are doing none of that because on this show, we talk nothing but whiskey. Is that right, Mitch? Absolutely, buddy. Um, yeah, this episode, we're going to have a look into the world of whiskey awards, which is something that we haven't done before. And we thought we'd do this because the big ones have recently just dropped. So we're going to be looking into who won what and hear from an ambassador whose brand recently won the title of best whiskey in the world, which if you don't know what that is yet, it's it's a bit of a shocker and a bit of a surprise to everyone. Right, Nicholas? Indeed, indeed. But before we do all of that, mate, I think it's about time we pour ourselves a dram. So uh, what do you have there? What are you drinking? Yeah, man. Well, you know, as per usual, my friend, um, a few whiskeys have been sent to the Fuck Not Another Whiskey podcast yeah. headquarters. Can, can we just stop? There is no headquarters. It's the Mitch Bouchard Get Me Drunk Fund. And here we go. Well, you your, your headquarters are, are over in America, mate. And, you know, nothing gets sent over there. So tough shit. Um, but the guys <laughs> at Turntable sent me some very nice samples in um, a little package and and if you guys haven't seen turntable yet it's a brand new blended whiskey that's just come out i've just cracked them and first impressions are really positive uh, i love the packaging i i can i, I want to get my my nose into this a little bit more and taste it spend a little bit more time with them so i think what we're going to do mate is I'll, I'll chat about this on the next show because this is literally just arrived i've just poured it out i'm going to be drinking it as we chat here um and and we'll get into that what about you mate um i i think it's i think it's late enough now in the us that you can have a wee dram right it is indeed i actually i'm pouring myself a different little japanese whiskey not should be right now i'm having a glass of masahiro malt whiskey Ooh. uh this is a pure malt 12 year old it is matured for 12 years in bourbon cask finished for another year in oloroso sherry and i've started to cut this is like my japanese balvenie doublewood 12 because really? the maturation process is identical. The flavor profile is very similar, but this is a great dram. 43% ABV, so it's nice and sippable. Doesn't really need much going on. This is a little distillery in Okinawa. So funnily enough, it is a distillery that we do single grain stuff with, but mm. we don't do malt whiskey with them. And their own malt whiskey, their namesake malt whiskey is really, really good. Actually, on that note, we're going to be inviting a couple of other people from the Japanese whiskey world for an episode down the line as well. So I've been rounding up a few people. It's quite difficult to get people in the Japanese whiskey world to actually want to come forward and talk about it. It's a little bit, it's not as, um, you know, forward facing, I think, as the Scotch whiskey world. But I've got a couple of people in mind that are absolutely killer and just really experts in, in the field, you know, uh, particularly Chris Elliott from, from Ichiro, which I'll talk about a little bit later as well. And we've also got Mr. Dave Broom coming on on that episode to, to chat about it. A friend of the show uh, who's been on here a few times. And obviously, for those that are listening that knows Dave, 
he's a bit obsessed with Japanese whiskey, uh, has been over there quite a few times and, and actually written a book on it as well. So, but what well, hasn't will... Dave written a fucking book, book on? I mean, Jesus, <laughs> boy. He, he's um, written more books than you've read, Mitch. <laughs> yeah. That's one and a half. Let's that, get into some news, mate. Let's get into some news. <laughs> What's caught your say, whiskey eyes this week? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because you know, I don't read that much. There was a, there was a picture of something that caught my eye. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. <laughs> no, I mean, the there first thing was it was actually a story about Russia, who um, you know everyone is probably well aware those cocks are still warming the shit about out of Ukraine, uh, and and the good news is most major drinks companies has ceased ceased trading with Russia. And it seems like the Russians are getting a little bit desperate for whiskey, mate, because this, this, this article was all based around this massive factory over there making counterfeit Johnny Walker black label. I actually Oof. watched a video of this, right? And <laughs> honestly, the, the, the bottles had like sediment floating inside it. It looked disgusting. Um, but this factory apparently is in the village of Belamut, and reportedly thousands of bottles of falsified alcohol products, including well-known whiskey, cognac, and rums, were found there. Two tons of the stuff was confiscated. That's insane. That is mental. That is this. I mean, the whole thing out there is mental, but you yeah. know, shameful. And I think it's probably a more accurate word, shameful. But there you go. Well. On a slightly more different note, let's take a turn from the most deplorable behavior and undervalued pe people making terrible decisions you can think of to the most valuable whiskey collection to go on sale. So this has actually just happened. We're recording this on May 12th. So we'll start putting a wee bit of a timeline on this just to, to put this into context. This went to auction yesterday, so I can't even tell you the final buying price. But this is called the Legacy Collection, and it was being auctioned by Sotheby's in New York, a trove of 142 lots uh, with some of the most exclusive uh, whiskies on the planet and was expected to fetch as much as 1.9 million bucks under the hammer. So on that note, some of the whiskies that were there, like some really notable Japanese whiskies and bourbons within its ranks, but really the main player on this, shocker, is the Macallan Fine and Rare Collection. So this is something that you know, there's I think there's 59 separate vintages in total of the McAllen Fine and Rares. Uh, the you know they've distilled. Obviously, one of the the the, the rarest bottle was the 1926, which sold alone for 1.5 million pounds uh, three years ago in London. So this collection does not have that bottle, but it has pretty much everything else. Uh, yeah, it is crazy. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, it's just it's, like it's it's it really is a powerhouse of whiskeys. You know, you can see. The, the lineup there, if anybody wants to kind of Google up and take a look, there's some really phenomenal bottles. Uh, you know, there's a 50-year-old a uh, Balvenie in there. There's eight bottles of, of Dalmore 25 and a 38-year-old Brora uh, just amongst the mix. But realistically, when you see these these all, and then some Pappy Van Winkles and a little bit of kind of Hibiki 17 and some other kind of fun, really great whiskeys from, from Japan and around the world, but... You know, you know, when you see the lineup of whiskeys, it really is the the the, the full spread of Macallan fine and rares, minus so, the the nineteen twenty six. But yeah, it's so impressive. so mate, how much did you get for your collection? Well, I'm I'm hoping for one point nine million. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll let you know. Actually, we don't know. But if anybody's out there listening and you bought it, please 
shoot us a note on Instagram. <laughs> Reach out to us at the show and tell us what the, you paid for it. <laughs> and if you need us to come round and help you crack a few of those balls. Okay. Mitch, do you ever miss an opportunity to get free samples? Right. <laughs> I mean, we had some fun times. Right? We used to go around to a few collectors in California and, and we drink did. some of their crazy stuff. We had a few few stories about that that we can't probably mention on this podcast, but I was trying times. to forget those moments, some of them. <laughs> some of them are brilliant, but a couple of them I'd rather not remember. <laughs> not so good, yeah, yeah. Not so good. Anyway, moving away from that, um, Glenn Morangy. Glenn Morangy is doing such cool stuff right now, and I think it's really a testament to this. Um, so they've done a collaboration with Dominic Cambrone, a.k.a. the Shoe Surgeon, and apparently he's a titan of bespoke uh, whis- uh, whiskey making bespoke sneakers. So uh, this guy basically does basically designs his own sneakers and kind of does his own twist on these. So Glenn Morangy have done a limited whiskey inspired high top sneaker with him. Uh, I, I love these. If, we'll yeah, put cool. the link in this. They look really cool, but we'll put yeah, the link cool. below so you guys can see them. Um, but this this guy um, Dominic Calbrones from California. He went over to the distillery at Glen Morangy looked at the whole whiskey making process and basically the uh these limited edition handcrafted shoes that he's created uh it talks about like this this is from Glen Morangy here uh, embodies the original playful elegance and bold use of color while paying homage to the distillery with barley textured suede copper detailing and gold plated signet lace tags they look, look cool that. um yeah. that's you know Casper McRae uh, our old boss now works for them, and I know he does a he does a lot of this this marketing aspect of Glen uh, Glen Morangy with them. Uh, so, Casper, I'm a size nine. You have my address. Uh, you know, come over to me. Thanks, mate. Same here, mate. Same here. Same size here. So that's it. Two for one, right? Don't there you need go. Me to... <laughs> yeah, th- th- these are really nice, actually. To be fair, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Dr. Bill Lumsden doing his, his presentations now, wearing a pair of sneaks and high tops. <laughs> Doing, <laughs> doing his break dancing moves with a pair of these on. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, let's get back to the topic of this week's episode, Mitch. Uh, you used to sit on the judging panel for the San Francisco Spirit Awards. How did you find that one? Yeah, I mean, you know, for those that haven't really looked into this sort of world of um, whiskey award, and I know some people out there might think, ah, whatever. Um, you know, it's just a fix. It's a load of bullshit, and. I think in some ways you could be right for saying that because all of them aren't aren't 100% legit. The the ones that, that, that I tend to concentrate on are the International World Spirit Competition and the San Francisco Spirit Awards, right? So, so to, to run you guys kind of through how this whole thing works. So I sat on the panel uh, for, I think it was four years I did it, four years in a row, the, the San Francisco Spirit Awards. And it's unbelievable to do this. So everything is done completely blind. Uh, to set a scene for you guys, you do it over three days. There is about 70 judges, and all these judges are from the drinks industry, uh, very very well-renowned. Not sure how I slipped through the net, but anyway. And uh, <laughs> you, you over the three days, I think I counted it one, one time, and I think it was about 270 different spirits that you judge. Every, yeah. Everything from vodka, rum, whiskey obviously flavored liqueurs at one point which was horrendous 
Um, and you just go through all these categories. So, so to give you an example, you would start off with something like vodka, very neutral. They would sit six vodkas in front of you and you'd, you'd split into groups of around about five to six people. So you take about 10 minutes to go through these six samples in front of you and literally everything is blind. They would tell you it's vodka. They tell you the ABV and that's it. Someone then comes up after about 10 minutes when you've, you've finished analyzing all these comes up with a clipboard and says, right, so-and-so you're going to start. And each time it kind of starts on someone different and you have to say, okay, so what I thought that was quite clean. Um, that was easy sipping. This is the notes that I'm getting. I'm going to give this one either a no award, a bronze award, silver or gold. Uh, and then everyone goes around the table giving that award. Now, the guy with the clipboard then goes, okay, so now we've got uh, five silvers, so it's going to be a silver overall. If more than, I think it was four or five people or like 90% of the table gave a gold, then it would go to potentially double gold. Now, the cool part of this is towards the end of the, the, the weekend, the final day, was when you're sipping on all the double gold awarded whiskeys, gins, vodkas, rums, whatever you put forward. So now you're judging the best of the best. And that's how we get to the point when you do an award like the San Francisco Spirit Awards, where they come to this, this decision on what the best whiskey of the, in the world is or best gin or best vodka or whatever it's going to be. It's done in a, in a really uh, neutral way. And you yeah. literally don't know any of the brands as you're going through. Even when you finish this, you don't know what brands you, you, you picked. And very cool that, that, you know, for this year, for the San Francisco Spirits Awards, it was actually Glenn Scotia, 25-year-old, that got the best whiskey in the world, which was great to see because, you know, we're a big fan of those what those guys are doing on the show here. Uh, so so great to see. So that's a kind of little bit of an insight, if you like. Well, not a little bit. I rambled on quite a bit. But uh, that's oh, a bit... Tell me about it. Oh, <laughs> you, you like, still the awake, whole mate? time, I was like, I don't know. I was like, fucking hell, land the plane here, mate. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's it's but it is quite a complex process that, that they go through for these and a lot of time is spent uh for yep. these awards you know so yeah uh, that's a little bit of an insight for you guys on yep. how this this all works but um yeah i mean do you want to talk you, you you did all right nicholas i mean you you picked up a nice wee award for shibui we we did so in, in, in a similar i'm with you on this one mate. there are there are lots of award companies out there and i call them companies because that's what they are they're out there to sell awards to people who want to pay for them and buy them and that's pretty much what they do um but you know amongst that there are some very reputable true um nosing and tasting experiences that, that are doing this blind tasting so san francisco spirit awards ultimate spirits challenge is another one from paul Picult, and then international wines and, and spirits a, a competition as well so uh, those would be my top three that i really rate you know a couple of the other ones out there they're still fantastic but if you're if you're linked to a publication i always think that's a little bit difficult because you know you have a you have a, a an advertising revenue stream kind mm -hmm. of attached to your your award ceremonies um, and 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 so from that standpoint, we're quite specific about where we we kind of put our product into IWSC, Ultimate Spirits Challenge in San Francisco, the three that we we like to kind of go in and and kind of put our whiskies into. But this year, and we literally just found this out last week, that uh, Shibui Pure Malt Ten Year Old was named uh, the best Asian whiskey in the world. So it wasn't just the best Japanese whiskey. We actually outperformed some amazing Japanese whiskies and single malts from like. Nagahama, Akashi, 
Shirakawa, even the 1958-year-old single malt that they put in there. Uh, but we were also outpaced, you know, everything from from Taiwan, like Cavalan, their entire lineup was was part of that. And also Paul John and all the other Indian single malts. So for us, that was really exciting, you know, to be named uh, best Asian single malt in the world and pick up the trophy. Uh, nice like you said, Magic, that's a... I, thank you, thank you. And that's IWSC is pretty cool. It's, it's very similar, you know. It's, it's a double blind tasting panel. The whiskey judging panel is a multitude of you know really influential uh, spirits experts, including Bill Lumsden actually, uh, Richard Patterson's in there, Brian Kinsman. I know David Stewart did it from time to time as well. So the 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 the, the judging panel in there is you know really impressive, and and, and I think it speaks volumes uh, for for the the other winners out there because you know we went through. Uh, and and I will get to this a little bit later in the show. You know some of the other winners that that kind of picked up the the trophies from other regions around the world are really impressive whiskies as well. So some of those will come as no surprise. But on that note, there was a bit of a surprise in other words as Milk and Honey from Israel won the best whiskey in the world at World Whiskey Awards this year. And we had a sit down with their brand ambassador Shilton Almeida to chat about this in a little bit more detail. Welcome, Shilton. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? All well? Very well. Great to meet you. I've not met. I know Mitch has actually had a few drinks with you in the past, I think. Is that correct? Randomly bumping into each other in a bar. <laughs> I reckon. I, re I think the last time we hung out was in the US. It was some kind of whiskey festival. Uh, I can't remember which one it was because we've been to so many of these. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's funny. I get asked like, oh, are you coming to this whiskey festival? I'm like, no, I've got like PTSD from whiskey festivals. I, I don't do them anymore. But <laughs> dude, that, that was a while ago. And, you know, I think you were, when I first met you, you were the ambassador for Paul John Indian whiskey. I think you were with them for six years, right? Before you. Uh, I, yeah, I was with Paul John for almost 10 years. Wow. Oh, 10 years, was it? All right, cool, man. So you guys won an amazing award for best whiskey in the world with Elements. So congratulations on that. I know it's uh, you've you guys have picked up quite a few awards already with uh, with with M and H. So really cool to see you guys getting you know best whiskey in the world. I'm really fascinated with this whiskey. Can you talk us through it? Because I know one of the things is that it uses sherry cask, but it's still certified as kosher. How's how's all that working? Yes, we just won it. Uh, it's uh, well, thank, thanks for that. Uh, it's the Elephant Sherry winning. I think every distillery winning a, a, an award as a best single malt in the world is a dream for everyone. Uh, we had that dream, but coming it in only three hours being in the market is like we were surprised when it came up as well. I did. I never saw that coming, but very happy. Uh, the team is super proud about it. Um, Element Sherry, it's one of the core range, which is also a plus point because you want something from your core range to win. Uh, it's at 46% ABV. Uh, it's we get it. I mean, well, all the all of our whiskies are kosher certified, and uh, it is not easy to do a sherry cask matured whiskey because then there's no kosher sherry in the world. <laughs> so for us to actually make it, uh, we have to get the wines made, uh, the the sherry wines made for us specially in Spain, and then we. Uh, the, the the casks are made for us, uh, so it's a it's a, it is a kosher sherry. So the casks are seasoned uh, in Spain, and then we bring it over uh, yep. for us. It's just done like any other kosher wine, but yep. as uh, just like any other sad story of a kosher wine, it is all gone down, and none of it has been bottled. <laughs> wow! So you actually have like a rabbi in yes. Spain, yeah, kosher sherry. That's that's so you're actually creating that just the seasoning wines themselves. So that's quite yeah. a that's quite a laborious 
uh, hands-on process to, to to get from point A to point B. Then, when we had the range, uh, when we had the range in in the portfolio, we have the classic, we have a sherry, we have a peated expression, and a red wine. The whole idea of this four was to give a dram to everyone. That anybody comes to you, we, there is a dram for everyone. That was the idea. And sherry being uh, very famous today, there is a fan following. People love that style. We also wanted to do it, but at the same time, we have to keep in mind that we have kosher certified. We have to maintain the certification also. Mm-hmm. So only way to do that was to make your own sherry. <laughs> wow. Hey, let, let's chat a little bit about the Apex series, in particular the Dead Sea cast. Talking about unusual experimentation with cast, like let's. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yep. The 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 Apex series is our small batches that we have. Uh, it isn't uh, two different styles, I will say. One is a different type of cask that we use and experiment with it. And uh, the other one is uh, different locations that we try to mature uh, and see what's going to happen. One of that is we started off with the Red Sea. We have got some more being matured. And on top of the Jerusalem mountains, there's some cask in the desert. <laughs> there's uh, come some cask in uh, the Sea of Galilee. Yep. Well, so the Dead Sea has been very popular uh, in, the, in the range. It's one of our best sellers as well. So we, we when we started off, the we left the cask at the Dead Sea, and I keep saying this in every tasting that guys, it is at the Dead Sea, not in the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So on the beach that we tried to, well, we we left about twenty casks, and we did not have a warehouse. So if you're experimenting, we approached. There's a hotel over there. We approached the hotel and we said, "Can we use a rooftop just to leave some cask over there and see?" That's it. Wow. Uh, we had to build a cage, of course, to keep it safe so that no one else drinks it from there. And <laughs> we, we we locked the cask on top of the hotel. We At the Dead Sea, it's 50 degrees Celsius. It's very dry and a lot of air pressure. When I talk about the air pressure, the air pressure is even more inside the cask than outside the cask. The whiskey, if I say, if people say that the whiskey is matures fast in uh, Tel Aviv, then Dead Sea will be faster. If it is hot in Tel Aviv, Dead Sea is hotter. So the Dead Sea Apex is matured for only about 18 months at the Dead Sea, and then we move the cask back to Tel Aviv. The reason mm-hmm. behind that is that we also lose 25% a year at the Dead Sea. Of uh, whiskey lost, some greedy, thirsty angels, we can say. I want to rewind a little bit. Like when we talk mm-hmm. about milk and honey and, and the kind of distillery character. How would you describe that to someone? And then how does this maturation in the lowest point in the world affect that when you when you guys open it and try it? So for the distillation itself, our new mix spirit, uh, we get it at 74%. We watered it down at 64.5 to fill the cask. Uh, the spirit itself is very oily and you get a lot of pastry notes. It's, I mean, at 64%, you don't feel the ABV on it. Um, we get it in that style, at, and which also you will when you try the classic or the elements, you can see the DNA running through. So we, keep, uh, especially in the core range, we keep the distillery character uh, in the spirit. Uh, you know, you can you can feel it, and at the same time, when you come to the apex, is where we try and play around. It's not like the cask is taking over, but the cask influence will be more in the apex series, just because we are trying it out and experimenting, but the core ring will always shine. We'll, we make sure that the distillery character shines out in it. Very cool. So I, I remember listening to a tasting with uh, Tomer, your distillery mm-hmm. manager over lockdown. He seems like an interesting cat. I'm assuming you do quite a bit of work with him and, and you get over to the distillery now and again. I think you said two or three times you've been over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
the one of the uh, the biggest reasons I will say, well, not one, the only reason when when I was moving this and I was super excited because I knew the team before Tomar and Tal, and uh, we had been like good friends already. So it's uh, it's a great team to work. Um, very much open. You can anytime you know just give a call and and talk about the uh, about uh, the liquid, about what we are doing, what we can do, and. Tomer himself is passionate. I mean, before starting with I mean, age, he used to distill at home. <laughs> he used to, wow. he, he, yeah, <laughs> he used to distill at home, and you know, and that's how he got into it. He had the passion. He loved doing it, and I think we are, we are, we are a great team today. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's but and I, I know you guys are using a load of casks. You've got STR, you've got Exila casks, rum, mm -hmm. cognac, pomegranate. I think I saw as well as one point. Um, yep. What else are you guys messing about with? Anything else you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean the Apex series. Uh, our, for example, our core range we use X bourbon a lot. Uh, then we have, uh, when then we also use STR cask uh, with us. These are the two main styles of uh, whiskey. We use X Isla casks to make the peat, to get the peated spirit, uh, peated whiskey. And when we play around, we started off with the Apex with white wine cask. We have done a cognac cask. We are on second batch of the cognac cask now. Uh, rum cask, X rye cask, tequila cask, <laughs> uh, fortified wine cask, uh, which is from the local wineries that we got. Last year we did a, a project called as Art and Craft, which is beer cask as well, where we where we uh, approached six different uh, breweries and we gave them our cask and asked them to fill their beer. So we had an IPA cask. We have you know the releases were. IPA, stout, chocolate porter, Belgian ale. So we, we just kept kept trying all this. Um, there's a, just now January this year we have bottled the new cognac cask, another rum cask, uh, small batch, and X rye cask. And you guys are busy. Is is there any point where Tom or like sends you some stuff and like, oh, you know, Shilton, what do you think of this? And you're just like, nah, dude, that's not working. That's just wrong. Can't do that. Well, that's uh, we do not do. I mean, there's nothing like that. But we always something with the releases. The, we always uh, a feedback that we can give in the market of this is what, uh, or there are some few tweaks that we want to do. But uh, there are so much experiments going on. Trust me, if you, I, if I, if my camera is not working today, if I had to show you my camera and to see the samples over here, it's like I don't even have the time to do that when you're traveling. Or my apothecary. Clean next time. <laughs> Yeah, Shilton. On that note, like a lot of our listeners have obviously not not made the 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 journey and the pilgrimage out to the distillery from Milk and Honey. Can you just describe a little bit about what goes on there and just the distillery itself? Yeah, well, we are in uh, Tel Aviv. We are just about ten minutes walk from the sea. I would say it depends on how fast you can walk. Also, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, very close. Uh, we are in Jaffa. The distillery building itself was an old bakery at some point when, when we started off. Um, we we do we do we have one set, nine thousand liter and three thousand five hundred liter on the sprit. Uh, we distill about seven hundred liters a day. We and annually we do about two hundred forty thousand liters. We can even push it up to one million if you want to. Small team, about twenty five people in total. Uh, production itself is around eight people, I think so. Uh, Tomer and his team in production. So that's, I mean, that that leaves us a room of me and Tal, the only two guys traveling. There's not much, not many people, but it's a lot of to do. So a small team, but uh, yeah, we are, and we have a visitor center as well. So if there's anybody visiting, we are very much open. We let, uh, we there's a visitor center. We have a shop there as well. So yeah, we'll, we'll take, we'll, we'll look after people when they visit. 
Listen, Shilton, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Great to to have you on here. Uh, next time I'm in Glasgow, I'll, I'll send you a wee message, mate. Hopefully you're not traveling somewhere around the world and we can hang out and have a have a couple of drams. But thanks for being on, mate. Good to see you. Thank you so much, guys. And I was just going to say the same. Uh, next time, probably we'll do the same, but in person with a dram in our hands. And- nice. Well, great to see that brand getting some recognition for you know the really interesting sort of work they're doing, right? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And on that note, there's another few interesting mentions on the awards here. So I will continue as I was prior to that interview with IWSC, so International Winning Spirits Competition, for Best Bourbon, William Hill, William Heaven Hill, 9th edition, 15-year-old, picked up that award. For mm-hmm. Best Irish, Redbreast, 27-year-old, which I've not tasted. Is it Again, me or does Redbreast always seem to get the Best Irish Whiskey Award? The, the juice is killer. Like yeah, red breast, I, I think that I think the product is phenomenal. Um, I mean, there are some baller Irish whiskies out there competing in that space, but red breast are really. I mean, to be fair, it's a twenty-seven-year-old. I'm sure it's not cheap, but they are, you know. Uh, best blended Scotch at IWSC again. Look at this for a gunner, Royal Salute sixty-two gun. Uh, so sixty-two gun salute. So again, not an inexpensive whiskey, but yeah. fantastic blend. Uh, the best non-age statement single malt is you, and you might know this, Mitch. I hadn't seen it before. Glen Fairn. So it's McGregor Ross and Company that make it, but I think it's aligned somewhere with White Mackay. Um, and mm. I've got a feeling it was a UK expression that was sold through Tesco. So I've not seen it in the states, and all I know is that it's a Speyside Distillery making this single malt under the white label of Glen Fairn. But that actually picked up the best NAS. Which is really, really cool. Best single malt, uh, 15 years and under. Inch Murren, 12-year-old from Loch Lomond Whiskies. Uh, the best malt from the ages of 16 to 25 is Tom and Tool, 21-year-old. And the best single malt, 26 and over, is Talisca, 30-year-old. So back to your old stomping ground there, Mitch, with Diageo. So well done to the team over there. Nice. Uh, Mitch, do you want to run through some of the other ones from uh, World Whiskey Awards? Yeah, I mean, some of, some of these ones. So best American whiskey... I've never tried this. I don't know. You might have come across this, Nicholas, but side gig whiskey from Storm King Distilling. Never seen it, heard it, but I'm actually going to go and hunt down and see if I can get a bottle of it. I think that's the interesting thing, right? When these awards come out and and someone gets, you know, whiskey gets this this kind of award, it's very, very hard to find it all of a sudden or the price goes (laughs) up in a big way. Um, Best Blended went to another American whiskey, which was Breckenridge uh, Proof Blend. So nice. well done to Jenny and the, the team there. That was very cool. Yeah. Uh, best Blended Limited Release, Ichiro Malton Grain Limited Edition. Ah, that's my friend Chris Elliott that imports that in, and he's he works really closely with Ichiro, and that is a phenomenal whiskey. I've not had the limited edition, but great to see another Japanese whiskey company going out there. You know, a smaller Japanese whiskey company like us going out and getting some really good wins. So well done to Chris and the team uh, Ichiro. Nice. And best bourbon, this is an interesting one, um, the representative, which I believe is an MGP product. It is indeed. This is made by a company called Proof and Wood. And the guy is Dave Schmeyer, and he's based in Connecticut. The company's called Proof and Wood because those are the only two things he controls. He doesn't distill. So he can control the ABV and the type of oak that he's maturing in. But they've done some really cool stuff, specifically in that lineup. That beat out WL Weller, CYPB. So, I mean, that's no mean feat to beat out yeah. Weller in the in the best bourbon category. Really cool stuff. Very nice, man. 
Well, I mean, that's that kind of rounds it off for for kind of world whiskies and what's going on around the world for for their awards, um, which is kind of cool to see. So we'll we'll hold fire and wait for that um, guy or girl who bought that whiskey collection to get in contact with us, and hopefully we'll be <laughs> drinking some of that this time next week. Absolutely. But, well, actually, talking about next week. So right now, I'm up in the middle of doing the NC500. And I'm uh, at one of the most northerly points in Scotland. And today I was with the guys at Eight Wars, which is the most northerly distillery on the mainland of Scotland. Sat down with them at the distillery, and we're going to be dropping that next week. So tune in, guys, for that one. It's a it's a good one. We we you know we hear about one of the newest distilleries in Scotland right now. These guys have only been open for six months. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. I went into their warehouse and I'm like, wait a minute, is this all you've got? I feel like you guys should have more, but they're such a small distillery. Uh, they're they're really producing a small amount, so it was great to be up there. So we're going to be dropping that episode next week. So tune in for that. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to my co-host here, Mr. Nicholas Palaki. As always, Mitch, an absolute pleasure to join you, drink some whiskey, and talk about all things whiskey. So as always, it's a goodbye from him and it's a goodbye from me. Bye.